The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Baloo. Sue Kalinske is here. Sue, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. Excellent. Excellent. We've got a really exciting guest who I spent some time learning how to pronounce her name. So uh, <laughs> I've always called her Jacqueline Bissett. Yes. But I watched a YouTube clip with my friend Steve Edwards actually interviewing her, and it's Jacqueline Bissett. So that's what we're going. We're running with the correct name, Jacqueline Bissett, which is a beautiful name. It is a beautiful name. You know, I watched an interview that she did for the movie that we're going to talk about. Yeah. And uh, the interviewer uh, kept on calling her Jacqueline and she didn't say anything. She didn't correct it? She didn't correct it. And the two filmmakers that were in the interview with her kept on saying she was Jacqueline. You know, and I was wondering if every time this woman said Jacqueline, that she was like, (laughs) right, like she was cringing a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But well, she is coming up and I'm excited because she is uh, she's a a legend. She's a legend. Um, All right. So I got something to hit you with beforehand. Uh, You know, we're worried about language um, more than ever, I think. Um, But I came across this note. You've seen the movie The French Connection, right? Yes. Gene Hackman playing Popeye Doyle. So according to uh, Deadline, the French Connection has edited 10 seconds from the movie. So this is on Criterion. It's on Turner Classic Movies. It's on iTunes. They've eliminated 10 seconds from the movie. It is a racial slur. So the language in question I'm reading now, this is uh, JoeBlow.com, good entertainment site. Uh, the language in question is disgusting, but it comes from a character who is, in fact, a racist, not to mention an alcoholic and misogynist. So it's fitting in that context. So in your mind, should we uh, eliminate offensive language, even if it is representative of a particular character in a movie or television show? We should not. And we should not because these people do exist and yes. have existed. Sure. And just because of the climate of all of this political correctness these days, yep. I think it's a disservice to art. Yes. You know, yes. you you know, people are going to be offended by things. That is always going to be. Right. And you can't erase it. Yeah. I mean, it's look, Popeye Doyle was a bad guy. I mean, he was a good guy. He was the hero in this thing, but he was a he was a bad guy. So why would you edit something that is really inherent in his character? I mean, he's a bad guy the entire thing. They cut 10 seconds um, and it's a, it's a racial slur and it's, it's terrible, but that's that character. That's who Popeye Doyle was to go back and make edits on movies from 50 years ago. Just makes no sense for me. 
Right. Look, I understand that there are certain things that you can't say anymore. There are certain subjects. You know, you look at shows like All in the Family and you say, okay, wouldn't be done today. Right. But are you going to go back and and start to edit everything Archie Bunker said? Yeah, it's it's impossible, right? It's impossible. And by the way, it's it's Archie Bunker was a racist. So the racist stuff, whether it's with Sammy Davis Jr. or with George Jefferson, um, I mean, that's that's real stuff. That's who Archie was. And in a way, actually not in a way, it was instructive to the rest of the world. The joke was actually always on Archie. The joke was mm-hmm. on Archie. Everybody else understood that the world was changing except Archie. So it was instructive to see a character who was still racist in an environment when things were absolutely changing. Right. So I think it's despicable. Despicable. I like that. <laughs> despicable. Off yeah. with his head. Yeah, exactly. By the way, if you've never seen The French Connection, oh, man, so good. Such a good movie. The the 10 seconds you can live without, but the movie is fantastic. All right, let's go. Our guest today is a legendary actress whose films include Day for Night, Casino Royale, Bullet, Airport, Murder on the Orient Express, The Deep, Class, on and on. Her new film is Lauren and Rose. It is such a lovely movie. Jacqueline Bissett is here. Jacqueline, thanks so much for doing this. You've got such an amazing career. I want to talk about some of your earlier work, but let's start with Lauren and Rose. The movie is beautiful. You are amazing in it. Uh, The film is written and directed by Russell Brown, and I can't imagine anybody else in this role. Was it it written for you? Did he have you in mind when he was writing it? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He'd had a few relationships, he said, with sort of mentoring kind of relationships. He was friends with several actresses. I know he was friends, very friends with Karen Black at one point, and Civil Shepherd, I believe, and he'd worked in other films. And one day I was having, I met him socially via a friend of mine called Christopher Munch, who directed another great film, The Sleepy Time Gal, which is another of my favorite, favorite films. And I met Russell there. And we were having dinner one night at Chris's house. And I was telling them a few bits about my life and complaining about something, whining on or being funny. I don't know what I was doing. And apparently Russell said, gosh, you know, she's sort of, Sort of reminding me of my script of uh, Lauren and Rose, and um, and and he thought, gosh, maybe she might be good for this film. <laughs> and I didn't, I wasn't aware of any of that. And when he sent, he sometime later he gave me the script, and I thought, wow, this is really well written, and I would love to do this. My God, would I know how to do it, and how would I be the person of the younger part of the film, which is not, I wouldn't get to play because she's so young. And it was a process, and um, I absolutely just swallowed the whole thing. Just, I just said, "Yes, I want to. I want to eat this." I would think that this would be such an uh, appealing uh, role to play, because um, I'm sure some of it had to feel somewhat autobiographical. You know, a little bit. But I have such a, I have a very different reputation than that woman, uh, Rose, and. Um, I wanted to incorporate those qualities that she had that I don't have and um, find more place for them because they were more focused towards the early part of the film when the description of the character is that the, 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 young, act, the young director is looking at thinking this woman is a little nuts. 
She's unreliable. She's got a bad reputation. And I love that. You know, I wanted to have more of a bad reputation. But I didn't know how, if I'm not playing it, how can I introduce it into the story? So I don't want, and there was things were being shifted and bits, some things were cut and added and blah, blah, blah. And I, I need those bits. I need those moments of being embarrassing. I want it to be, I'm embarrassing at home. I'm not embarrassing when I go out. <laughs> um, um, so the process of working it all out, you know, I love being in the restaurant with my daughter and totally poor woman, poor girl. Thinking, oh, God, my mother's awful. But it's fun. Those things were fun. And that continued her from the young part. Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing I love is the, the stillness of the movie. And by the way, you're perform you're so settled and you're so still and you're so in that moment. Um, I'm, I'm curious about what do you think the most valuable lesson that Rose teaches Lauren, who's played by Kelly Blatts, what's the most valuable lesson she teaches him? Well, she teaches him to have courage, but what he taught me was what he showed me in the film, the actual shooting was how, what a, wonderful listener he is now the more he listened well the more i was able to open if he had been impatient or i'd sensed at all that he wasn't listening every well every part of him you know, physical mental i would not have been able to be so intimate and the intimacy adds to the intimacy both ways what what was so beautiful uh, watching that you and kelly is the chemistry between the two of you was so potent you know um when I when I watch actors, something that I'm always so focused on are their eyes, because there are actors that eyes kind of shift a little bit when they're talking to somebody. And when you're talking to somebody, you don't do that. And I don't know whether an actor does it because I, I, I don't know. I don't know why they do it. But the, the two of you were so locked in. And I want to know um, how much time did the two of you spend together before you shot this film? How well did you know one another? We didn't know him really at all. We'd had a rehearsal with the directors at the director's house with his cats, two cats <laughs> and some snacks. We sat with Paul Sand and the three of us sat with Paul. And I watched Kelly very intently with the cats. <laughs> and I wanted to know about him. I knew I, there wasn't going to be a long rehearsal period. And I just, his, his tenderness to the cats, his, uh, his need, I felt great need in him. Something was going on in his life. I don't know what. Nothing to do with the film. I felt something, a yearning in him. Hmm. And um, I thought, gosh, I think it's going to be okay. Of course, we don't know because we don't. We've got a, you know, it was early, very early days. It went quite fast from the time I met him till the time we sh shot. But prior to that, there'd been a long period when the director was not happy with what he to, he'd cast it twice and then changed his mind and it had gone not gone away again. And um, I'd done a read with Kelly when he got the part. He did a very good job, but I couldn't conceive of what the director wanted yet, so I didn't really have any idea. I read with several people, three people to be exact. They all seemed good to me pretty much. I was, um, what Kelly gave me was, it's, it's, uh, was um, he gave me his attention. He paid attention, and I was very loving, and I just loved him too. I just, you know, I just thought this man is, it's so, and it's a, we're, we are an image of each other's potential. Um, so you're talking to the person, but you're also talking to the potential of your life, of his life. 
the time passing, time going down for me, going up for him, but it, it wasn't going up for him. So he was in a period of doubt, needed um, encouragement. And I don't know, it's just thrilling to me. When you, yeah. notice, when you can see something in somebody and they can't see it yet, it's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. So I want to talk about some other stuff because you are, I mean, you're, you're iconic, you're legendary, you're all that, all that stuff. No, I, I really do mean it. I really do. Like, so I took a class in uh, French new wave cinema uh, when I was pursuing my liberal arts degree at Bowling Green State University. So I was familiar with Francois Truffaut and saw day for night. What Mm -hmm. was it like on a Francois Truffaut set? Um, very French, <laughs> very French, chatty, talkative. I didn't speak much French at that time. It was quite difficult for me. I didn't really know what was going on. I couldn't join in the humor. I was thrilled beyond doubt, you know, absolutely thrilled to be there, but I had a lot of fear. And um, people were nice to me, but they were obviously a little bit cliquey. They'd worked with him before, quite a few of them. So I felt a little bit like an outsider, and I knew that if they changed anything, I was being in trouble. And my <laughs> I said to him, you cannot change anything because unless you give me two or three days of, you're going to change anything. Like, it's all got to be learned. And um, I was just thrilled. I mean, I thought of those films that I'd loved. I, I knew his work quite well. He was the director whose work I knew the best at that point, really. So I just couldn't believe I was there. And, uh, and, and it, you know, it could have gone wrong. I could have not been there because my agents didn't pass on the messages that I, that I got from him. And, He'd called like a year before he'd contact with my agents. I'd never mentioned anything. And I just happened to be in Paris dancing in some nightclub. was Mm. seen there and somehow followed and found in a hotel I'd never stayed in before or since. And his agent found me. But it could have just gone. (laughs) Wow. Wow. It's so funny that you say that um, you didn't want him to change any lines. No. Uh, And no, just because your character in the movie (laughs) said the same thing. He he changed the lines. You know, he was, he kept on giving you rewrites in the, in the, in the film that he was filming. He worked with each actor separately. So he knew my anguish, you know, he knew my (laughs) anguish because he knew I didn't speak French fluently. I was really. Right. I I think I was about, when I did it in 1972, I was about 28, I think, 28, 99. And I was beginning to have less fear, but to have to be in a film, before, I mean, I was enthralled. He kept apologizing for the role. He kept saying, I know it's a group thing. It's an ensemble. I said, please, don't worry. It's really, I just <laughs> don't understand. Said, no, no, he said, I'm sorry, but you know, well, I'm sorry. I can't pay you very much money. He said, don't worry. Please don't. I said to my agents, don't mess this up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I wanted to ask you? Uh, since Truffaut played a director in the fake, the movie that, that you were filming in the movie, how true of his d- being a director was him when he was directing you in Day for Night? How, how close well, was his character to how he actually really is as a director? It's hard to judge how he is as a director if you have a normal-sized part. I mean, he was directing group people he knew well, and he was kept, I'm sure he was apologizing to them too that they weren't didn't have bigger parts. But he was dissimilar in energy. I mean, he was quite, uh, he liked to be fairly talkative with his group and he didn't like being around noisy things because he, I never knew quite whether the ear issue, which is in the film, was part of his real life as well. I wasn't felt, but he didn't, I mean, I think, I think there was a fair amount of similarity. 
was friendly. He wasn't aggressive. He was precise in a way. He had a good control of the set. It wasn't um, shambolic. It was everybody was happy to be there. Uh, it's hard for me to judge, really. With with each person, he you know took each actor, and they spent time with the with the character played by Natalie Bai. It was her first with the big film. And I used to, in my opinion, Natalie Bai was the person who was the script girl, in, even though she was not. I mean, she was the acting, but for me, she was the script girl. And I was living with her during the film hmm. as Natalie Bai. We shared a house, <laughs> had a lot of laughs. But when I'd see her on set, I felt like the combination of Truffaut and Natalie Bai were my bosses. I felt on some peculiar level, they were like, so staying in a house with her, uh, you know, was was separate, but yet I felt that it was dominant to me as my character. Yeah, it, it never happened to me before, and um, but it was a lot of we had a lot of fun. I, I just kept having to go, you know, I'm here movie with Francois Truffaut, and there's an American <laughs> on the set next door. There was an American film they were doing, The Last of Sheila, where there was a lot of conflict, and they were all jealous that I was in this movie. And that gave me such a kick. I got such a kick out of being the one who was working with Truffaut and they were all struggling on their American film. <laughs> well, they, they had good snacks. We had no snacks whatsoever. They had a running buffet, you know, the typical big, big Hollywood film. Yeah. We had like, you got in France, you get the dry croissant, no butter, no jam. I think. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Could, could we take a walk? <laughs> the set? No. Then they had, um, they had, uh, Oh my god, he's such a cool guy. He was such a cool actor. I mean, it doesn't matter. I yeah, can't yeah. Okay, I want to jump. I want to jump because I I know our time is limited. Uh, Bullet is Steve McQueen's. I, I arguably Steve McQueen's greatest film. Uh, features these amazing car races or car chase sequences. Uh, what was that movie like for you? And was Steve McQueen as cool as we all think he was? He was cool. He was cool. He was kind. He was polite. He was, but he talked in this American j- jive talk. You know, I didn't know what he was saying, talking about soul chicks and dudes, and and, and I didn't dare ask because I did soul chick. That sounds really sixties. So sixties <laughs> thing. What would it be? Is it like you know, hippie? Did I have to? Think? <laughs> um, but he was very, very um, hyper because mm. he. It was his first co-production. He was. Uh, Bob Royer was his partner, I believe, and it was Solar Productions, and he was involved in the production of it. And he, I think he didn't really particularly enjoy all the attention he was getting everywhere. He would arrive on his motorbike you know, like some sort of wild cat and then leave, which is gone. You know, hmm. One day he said to the producers, I'm taking Jacqueline for a ride. And they were like, no, no, please, please, not our stars gone off from the back. Anyway. <laughs> I got like we went around the block. Their faces when I came, we came back. So hilarious! It just hilarious. Of course, it was literally around the block we went. But he definitely wanted me to get on the back of that bike. And production was just like, no, not really. <laughs> Sweet. Um, what was the question again? I've gone off. Steve McQueen, how cool he was. He was cool. Yeah, uh, he was cool. So when when normally when you do a film, um, do you get do you hang out like do you hang out like you know after a yeah. shoot or you know yeah, we, you- we hung out during the shooting with uh, um, Peter Yates, uh, Philomar D'Amato, his producer, Steve, myself, 
were usually like four or five people we'd go and eat together pretty much most days. And um, I would I would just sort of be like, gosh, they're all grown-ups and I'm like the kid. And But I wasn't there all the time and they sent me back to L.A. because nothing was happening. And I said, God, they're rewriting me out of the movie. My part's never going to come up. Ten weeks it went on for. And I get a call. We want you to come up to San Francisco and learn to be here. Learn to be there. How do we learn to be somewhere? <laughs> what do you mean? You take a flat, and you know you live in the neighborhood, and you, you live in San Francisco in the film. I said, "Well, okay." So up I would go, and they put me in the flat. And I sat there and stared at my feet, and had no idea what they meant. I didn't haven't learned how to prepare to be a person from a place I didn't know. And uh, I thought, really like to go home and see my boyfriend. <laughs> and uh, Oh, oh my gosh, and, the, and it wasn't happening. They just kept saying, yeah, it'll come, it's coming up soon, you'll be working, and I back and forth a few times. And I'm still trying to learn how to be an actor, really. Um, and eventually they said, come up, and, and they still didn't use me. And I got, oh, it was just, oh, my God, fear, <laughs> big fear. Yeah, yeah. Does that, does that do you, do you, as an actor... Do you, is like no matter what you're doing in your career, is it always, it's, it's always fear? You always feel like you're not going to get another job. You're not, you're, you're going to get written out or. No, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, how am I going to do the scene? Do I know enough? Will I remember my lines? You know, there's awful dreaded things that can happen. You suddenly go blank. That happened occasionally that you go blank. And, but mainly just, am I acceptable? Is really what you're, am I going to be what they want me to be? And when, cast you a certain way and dressing you a certain way. What, who's, who's leading this desire to be? What am I? What kind of woman am I? Who's wanting me? Is it the director's wish? Is it the concept of the whole thing? I remember a film when suddenly they said, we want you to wear a hairband. I said, a hairband? Why? <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember which film it was, but I remember that eventually the director's wife turned up with a hairband. Hmm. <sighs> So he likes that, you know. So people things get put into a film, even on day for night. I mean, how was I going to dress? What did Truffaut like women to wear? I had to bring my own wardrobe, but it was like, is this good? For and then because they said he's very likes very classic, want very ladylike, classic looking, and I didn't have any. He said, bring your film star wardrobe. And I said, I don't have. Any. I don't have. Any. <laughs> so I went to a. The only shop in LA at that time, which had really good Italian clothes, and I bought three outfits, which cost me a fortune. And I arrived with them, not knowing whether he'd say yes. He said yes to all of it, and I ended up wearing them in, in day for night. But on um, on Bullet, uh, we had a very good designer, and she put me together. I didn't know yet the process. So to be what to whom? I'm all ready to be changed. I love the idea of change. But you, I didn't understand the process. So yeah, yeah. we got to my scene by the water in Bullet, and then it took a few takes. <laughs> it took a few takes. I thought, oh, these people are going to just get, give up on me. They, why, why are they saying another take? Oh, God, it's awful. And I was, the scene was so serious. I thought, God, it's so bloody serious. <laughs> you know, you're, we're living in a sewer, Frank, day after day. I think I had to say something like that. I thought, oh. God, what do I know of the sewer? I don't know yet. I don't know what the sewer is, um, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's jump to Sinatra. 
Sinatra you, you, was very straightforward. He was, was he? father's favorite music. So I, when I saw met Sinatra, I thought, I am now, my father will be happy. I'm working in a movie with the biggest star I've ever heard of, Frank Sinatra. And he was very nice with me, called me the kid, very protective, and rather sweet, you know. So let me ask you something specific about that, because there's a famous story. Uh, you actually replaced Mia Farrow in The Detective. Um, Frank was upset that Mia was locked up on Rosemary's baby and at some point served her with divorce papers on that set. It's a very famous story. Did, did you know any of that was going on while you were shooting the detective? Well, I knew that that reason I was there was I was replacing her. Yes. And she couldn't come. She couldn't leave the Polanski movie. I didn't know about papers or anything, but I knew that he was a bit sad. I could sense he was sad. He wasn't showing it, obviously. Uh, I could sense it. We would, there was one scene where we were sitting opposite each other at a table, and I felt his. I felt him really quite sad. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, okay, Murder on the Orient Express. This is just a crazy cast: Lauren Bacall and Ingrid Bergman and Sean Connery and Albert Finney and Vanessa Redgrave and on and on and on. Directed by the great Sidney Lumet. Unbelievable amount of star power. I'm guessing probably in sort of small quarters uh, you were shooting you know on some form of train can you can you feel the the wattage when you get that many movie stars together well it was a it had a, a two-week rehearsal period around a table which was really only for him because it was one of the most boring times i've ever sat around a table and we all realized that we had terrible parts we were just these tiny little parts with no backstory really except albert who had to go through yards and yards and drones of words to get to the next point. We were very bored. Um, <laughs> I was incredibly bored. And I thought, I can't believe I'm in this. Why am I in this film? And remember, uh, there were wonderful Rachel Roberts and, as you say, Ingrid Bergman, all these people. But then when we got to the set, the best part, part was lunch. <laughs> because some of them tell stories. And then there was this whole thing with Vanessa Redgrave. Um, some of the actors... Albert was doing a play and was working in it. Ingrid Bergman was doing a play. There were several of them doing plays on top of doing the movie. Hmm. And the question from the guild was, you have to give up your hour lunch and go for a half hour. Well, Vanessa was not going to have anything to do with this because she had said, we have spent a great deal of time getting an hour for, you know, our union, you know, the equity rights. Sure. And um, I thought, you know, I thought, well, God, hell, I, the only part of this I'm really enjoying is lunch. And I'm not willing to give up my half an extra half an hour and not be with all these incredible people. And then we had this time where we had to vote. And it was one of the most intimidating things I have ever been at. You, you know, Sean Connery, Albert Finney, um, all the guys, all the guys were there. Um, the women who came, Vanessa, I don't remember the other women, but mainly it was a room, a room full of men who wanted to go with a new idea. And Vanessa said she was bright red in the face and she, as she would get when she was get really on something, she said, no, we cannot, we cannot do that. She said, when there was a vote. And I have an image of seeing Sean Connery and Albert Finney and some of the other Jean-Pierre Cassel and they all looking at us. And I got my hand up. I thought I'm following Vanessa, you know, absolutely. I got my heart, my arm sort of up, up, up. And then I saw nobody else. And I was at one of my most cowardly moments of my life. 
I swiveled my arm and I tried to bring it down. And <laughs> down as if, as if, as if, as if I hadn't done it. And we lost the boat. <laughs> I'll never forget that cowardice I felt and the embarrassment. And, um, and the men were happy and everybody went back to work and, and nobody felt. I was so ashamed of myself. I didn't have the guts. But I would have lost anyway. Something. And Vanessa lost and we lost our half hour. We yeah. half instead of an hour. And so um, that was it. And it didn't have that same magic <laughs> for me, for me. But I'm just being very honest. <laughs> sure. I, I love it. Yeah. Um, but each person we got on well um i'm trying to think of the name of the english actor the very grand english actor sir 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 mm, can't remember anyway they were an mm. amazing group, uh, group of people yeah yeah let me let me throw some names at you that the people that you worked with and maybe just a a quick sentence a quick thought on them uh burt lancaster who you worked with on airport I had nothing to do with Burt Lancaster on airport. He was in another part of the film. It was like a completely separate film than the Dean Martin character. It was like another film, another set. Hmm. It was very serious, quiet, absolutely perfectly quiet. Whereas with Dean, it was laughter and giggles and lots of silliness. How about Paul Newman? I worked with Paul twice. I played his daughter in the Judge Roy Bean. And, um, and actually, John Houston, who wasn't very well at the time, told Paul to run the scenes with me and to work with me. He sort of handed me over to Paul because he wasn't feeling well. He had, you know, serious emphysema and uh, it was a bad moment. I felt, didn't really quite know how to deal with that. Well, it was definitely not difficult to say thank you, Paul, for directing me. Send me yeah. to Yeah. Okay, and Peter then, Peter Sellers, Casino Royale. Peter Sellers, was not, it was not good. He wasn't very sympathetic. Um, he actually shot me with a with a blank. Um, I never knew to this day whether it was on purpose or not, but he, I had to come in with a bottle of champagne into the room and he had, to, he had a gun in his hand and he, he pulled the trigger and I dropped the bottle of champagne and got, my face was covered with little blood spots. Mm. Luckily, I didn't get more damage, but it did not endear me to him. And I don't know what, it was, may not have been a full blank, but it was certainly a half blank. Yeah. Okay, I'm getting the rap sign. I got to tell you one last thing. So yeah. in 1983, you made a movie called Class, uh, which uh, I, I was at a certain age. It hit me at just the right age. Um, and your co-star, Andrew McCarthy, uh, in the weirdest bit of synchronicity, is our guest tomorrow on the show. It just worked out that way. We didn't plan it that way. But I thought it was amazing that it was you and then Andrew McCarthy. Is there anything you'd like to pass along to Andrew? Please give him a big hello, a big hello. We had a lot of fun together. We worked quite well together. He was so young at that time, but he was adorable. He's a very smart person. Excellent. Yeah, it was good. We will, we will tell him. Uh, listen, this has been an honor to have you on the show. The movie I absolutely love, Lauren and Rose. Um, it's beautiful. You're so amazing in it. Uh, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. And there she is, Jacqueline Bissett, a wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, I, you know, I said it a little bit during the conversation. You know, she has a stillness and a settledness as an actor uh, that really works here. Because really what you're doing in this film, it's a series of monologues. It kind of happens during three 
dinners. Um, and it is such a beautiful, beautiful film, especially for her. I think one of her finest films. Yeah. And like I said to her earlier, I mean, the chemistry between she and, uh, and Kelly, uh, what's his, what was his last name? Uh, Blatz, I think. Yeah. Blatz, Kelly, Kelly Blatz. Yes. Um, was really, really amazing. But, you know, it's something that came to mind when I was watching it. And I was thinking, yes. oh, my God, they are going to just have uh, a bunch of meals. And that is what the whole movie is going to be. And um, and but it was very compelling. Yes. Because their conversation was um, just introspective and 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 their relationship was really wonderful. And two things. I love the fact that he was gay because mm. if he was not gay. It would have changed the feel of any sexual tension. Interesting. I didn't think of that. Yeah, that is you know? interesting. And there was no sexual tension right. in, in, in any of the scenes together. But it reminded me of my dinner with Andre. Of course. Which was two guys having dinner. Was and great. talking about their lives. Right. And Wasn't it Wallace Shawn and Wallace Shawn and I forget the other guy's I forget. name. Wallace Shawn and the other one. My dinner with Andre. It's a it's a classic. It's a classic. And I, I love this film as well. Hey, I want to remind everybody, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please do that. Uh, if you are listening, you're on Spotify or you're on Apple and you can subscribe to the podcast uh, and hear it as, uh, as just audio. Um, and we appreciate you being out there. Feel free to leave a comment on uh, YouTube, comment on uh, Apple, Spotify, any of those places. We always love when you do that. Uh, and a five-star review and all that business. All, all that business. Um, and uh, thank you very much. Sue, great seeing you. And we will see everybody on the next Culture Pop Podcast. <laughs>